As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What? What? I don't know. No. Um, welcome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> It's Monday. It's Jane's fun. already got too hot. <laughs> She's overheated everybody, and you know what happens then. Mm, well, it's it's all I'll say is it's wonderful weather for drying, isn't it? It, it is really lovely is. weather, actually. It's a very good point. I managed to do four loads of washing well, this yesterday. is what I mean. For sheets, it's yeah. just brilliant. It's yeah. just brilliant. I mean, I, I I just don't think any, any I'm going to say it, woman ever gets over the simple thrill of sticking a sheet on a line and then going back just like an hour later and it's dry. Well, I, have to, I don't want to, I'm not being contentious just for the sake of it, but I find it's a, I have more of a satisfaction with a very thick sports sock. Because sometimes in winter, well, they never get can dry. take three days to dry. They just ferment athlete's foot. Exactly, and then you give them a sniff <laughs> as you're putting them together oh. in the basket, and you think that needs to go through again. Oh, yeah. So no, it was very, very, very nice to see the sunshine. Uh, but how will you be by Thursday? I don't know, and it's a very real and pertinent question. <laughs> yes, it's just there's no break in the weather. I mean, I appreciate lots. <laughs> Of our listeners are not in the UK and lots are not in London. But, but also we... lots of people listening to this are enduring really properly hot weather. I know! That goes on for months. But you were and... boasting earlier of your own domestic aircon unit. Oh yeah, no, no. I, and I have to confess to that. I don't mind confessing oh, really? to that. Uh, just because uh, my daughter's room right at the very, very uh, top of the house is uh, just unbearable. Mm. So, you know, in the in the heat bumps... When it topped forty in London, mm. uh, it was really, it was dreadful. Yeah, actually. oh gosh, it was awful. Yeah. So I couldn't do the whole moving house thing, Jane. No. So I had to find a way of solving it. So yeah, you've called me out on that. That's no, no, I'm not calling you out. Nasty it. Eve, isn't no, it? I don't, I've it's got rather, a, rather unpleasant. I've got a fan that I got from the local hardware, much loved hardware store. Yeah. Uh, so uh, whether or not I can put up with the white noise though overnight, I just don't know. Um, I just want to say, I mean, it's a long shot, this, but if anybody was on the same train as me on Saturday evening, um, I had been to Liverpool for the day, um, which I'm very fortunate to be able to do every couple of weeks, uh, was schlepping back uh, from Lime Street to London's Euston station, and uh, my train was cancelled. And that meant that not for the first time, um, those of us who were kind of grimly determined to reach our capital city, uh, had to do so via Birmingham New Street and Northampton and then got a really slow train that went through Tring. Now, I've got nothing against Tring. It's a lovely, lovely but, uh, place. No, I just didn't want to see it on Saturday night. And by then, I think it was approaching 10.30. It had been a very, very long journey. Anyway, during part of that journey, a man called Brian, wearing a baseball cap, got on the train and was, by some margin, one of the most obnoxious people I'd come across recently. Well, he's bound to be listening to this. Well, what would you like to say he to was, him? I would venture that he was probably in his late 60s, early 70s. He had been drinking, and he got on with a bunch of equally boorish mates, and they took over what was a suffocatingly hot train carriage somewhere between Birmingham and Northampton, in fact, and were just loud, leery, and a right royal pain in the arse. I actually thought other passengers were incredibly tolerant of them. I wasn't feeling it. So were me and a couple of other passengers put our headphones in, were on, and just glowered in their general direction. But he was just big. He was one of those people who was a self... A self... Grand... What's the expression? Self... Self-aggrandising. Yeah. Self-appointed character. 
and they're always the worst. And actually, I was thinking about him, <laughs> this sounds absurd, when I heard the news about Silvio Berlusconi dying, because we were laughing at that um, phrase, larger than life, that's so often applied to grotesque figures in public life. And Berlusconi was one of them, wasn't he? He wasn't comic or amusing. He sounds horrible. And we can say it all now because he's dead. Well, the funny thing uh, was, we were talking to one of his biographers this afternoon who who openly said uh, that Berlusconi's attitude to women was wrong. He had a problem mm. with women. And he really did. He was taken to court for having slept with a minor. He was acquitted of that charge uh, in the end because the court accepted his version of events, which was that he simply didn't know how young she was, which uh, in other cases is an absolute calling card of the paedophile. So I think his biographer was also uh, right to try and put into context his behaviour in that it would be called out more now. There is something dreadful about near history which I think we are realising with horror mm. what wasn't called out but was there in plain sight. Mm. And you're right, this larger-than-life character, Bunga Bunga Party, it's all hilarious. Yeah, except it's Since the Me Too movement, it, a massive, massive shift mm. has occurred in how we see things like that and how women might want to tell their stories. And yet, you know what the really terrible thing is? I couldn't name, I couldn't name another Italian Prime Minister. I just... Uh... No, I'm really, I'm really struggling to. So no, neither can I. And isn't that that because we celebrate that? But then doesn't that have really, really direct parallels to oh. this country and to America? That we are, we're getting the politicians that we deserve yeah. if we carry on like clicking this. on things mm. about their darker sides and uh, kind of celebrating. Mm. The shit that goes down. Am I allowed to say shit that goes down on a podcast? On a podcast, you can see all things like shit. So every time, um, you know, there's a story about how dreadful it is that there's a story about Boris Johnson, uh, you are playing into that at the moment, aren't you? I'm not comparing him to the crimes of Berlusconi, but he is also described as a larger-than-life figure. Yes, yes, yes. I just, I just want to go a couple of days without seeing an image of him jogging. Um, or either from the front or the back. I just, I just don't want to see it. Yeah, but I think you've got, you've developed that uh, that illness. If I may say so, it is an illness of, of becoming really, really antagonised by these people, but then wanting to be antagonised by these people. Well, and you're, that's why we're in the pile of state we're in, as yes. you were saying. So it's all on you. It's probably all my fault. But I think I'm going to carry on just blaming that guy on the train on Saturday night, if that's all right. No, I'm good. I'm I was going to transfer it, blame it all on you. I was also semi-interested during that journey on the Manchester City game, but I couldn't even get I couldn't even get the internet. I couldn't. So that was infuriating. Oh, but we do we don't need Wi Fi on trains, Jim. Oh, that's no. been decided. Oh yes, of course we don't. It's no. not a priority, is it? It's not. No, we can all sit and look out the window just with our own thoughts. As we all know in Britain, um actually <laughs> getting anywhere on a train is also not a priority for most British rail no, users. So no, well, you don't need to do that. Please don't get me antagonized about that. Because what again. you can do is just stay home and use your Wi Fi. Yeah, and produce more British taxpayers. Now, uh, this is about noisy Britain. Uh, oh yeah. And maybe Jane, you should leave for Germany. Because this comes from B, uh, who says, last night was more restless than usual. Uh, last, having to pack after a very few stimulating days in Germany, a country which I absolutely love. I was very struck by your discussion about how noisy Brits abroad are. I was in the British Army as we were preparing to leave Germany and there was a great deal of concern about how children would cope with the return to the UK, let alone the parents, as many of them had never lived there. It was heartbreaking to hear of how many of them really didn't want to go back to England and this was mostly for reasons of noise and tranquility. Um, I'm something of a similar age to you both and we can remember quiet Sundays when there was nothing much to do except visit family, talk with each other, watch TV, usually terrible, or go out and do something less boring instead, uh, which was the uh, 
strapline, wasn't it, of Why Don't You, a TV programme uh, that we'll remember, but lots of our listeners well, in yeah, Canada no. probably won't. That was called Why Don't You Turn Off the Television Set and Go and Do Something yeah, More Interesting yes, Instead. That's exactly yeah. it. Uh, it seems to me that for the last 30 years, we in the UK have become used to a seven-day working week and shopping with no time to rest apart from a pandemic-enforced hiatus. This leaves people exhausted, overstimulated and inconsiderate, Brian, especially when visiting other nations who have had a rest day on Sundays or early closing day on Wednesdays and Saturdays. The notion of quiet time, which Germans enforce rigidly and which means there are no lawnmowers on Saturday afternoons or Sunday or any other loud mechanical noises. Yeah, it's law in Germany. You have to have a quiet Sunday. It's a thing. Wow, I didn't know that. So you can't go and, you know, tile cut for your bathroom or get your strimmer out or anything like that on a Sunday. So anything of that nature has to be done if you're working during the week on a Saturday morning. On a Saturday morning. morning. Right, Yep. Uh, It's an anathema to Brit, says, uh, especially when abroad. It does make me wonder if we haven't sold something of our national soul for almost incessant economic activity and to what benefit. Just as Mary Woodhouse saw the dangers of unregulated television, White House, that is, isn't it? Perhaps the Keep Sunday special campaign had a value beyond the religious. I'll be grateful if you didn't use my name. I'll give you a beep, Eve. Oh, that was a very long one, totally wasn't it? over the top. Yeah. Oh, do a nicer one. I'll do a short one. Beep. Yeah, really lovely. Genuinely nice enjoyable. Low military beep for you. Uh, oh, but did you see the footage of the poor soldier falling over in his bearskin oh, and I'm carrying still trying on? trying to play the trombone. I, I, genuinely, one of the most heartbreaking images I have ever seen. Ever. Yeah, there was something. There was something very poignant about just seeing a prone guardsman still desperately trying to play his trombone. Yeah. Oh no, that element of it was okay. Not yes. no. I mean, there was yeah. It was the kind of terrible loss of dignity associated with it, and the yeah. I thought it was really sweet. It was, and really I thought sweet. It, I thought his mates were very when they consoled him when he managed to stagger back to his feet. Yeah, but why, Jane? Oh, are we why still are they making? Doing it? I don't know those. Uh, men and women dress up in bearskin hats we're not, on a I don't hot think, day. I don't think we're making women put a bearskin on. But, yeah, it was a boiling hot day in central London on Saturday. Some sort of rehearsal for the Trooping the Colour, which I think is next weekend, which is a, a big, highly choreographed annual military parade. Are there no women allowed in the guards? Good question. I don't think they march with the bearskins on. So, I mean, that's one for the audience. Somebody will know. They, they will, will know. Yeah. I tell you who would know, that's Rory Stewart, who happens to be referenced in this email from Daisy. Excellent. But not counting Blue Peter, she says, this is the first time I've ever written into a show. Then she says, actually, it's not true. I wrote to the rest is politics to say that I thought they had a woman problem after Rory proclaimed that it is now much safer, actually, to walk across Afghanistan than it was when I did it. For who, Rory, I asked but I'm sure they didn't even register it, let alone read it, so I don't think it counts. I think it's a brilliant email, and they should have answered it. <laughs> they should. I'm sorry they didn't, actually. Uh, for what it's worth, Daisy, I kind of, I've quite enjoyed their podcast, if I'm honest, but they do have a gap. They have a gap when it comes to women and women's experiences, which is extraordinary in lots of ways. Um, and I think that's, a, that's, forgive me, is a remark completely typical of them. Uh, for Rory Stewart, without realising what it is he's saying, to say that things have really improved and now it's really perfectly easy to walk across Afghanistan. But I can't imagine when he said that because it wouldn't be easy to walk across Afghanistan even if you were a bloke at the moment, would it? Um, Well, oddly, I think um, there was a really interesting report the other day on the Taliban and what they've done to cut heroin production. It, It was one of those slightly niche BBC reports that told you something that was genuinely interesting so i think you will get some people and i really hope i'm not getting this wrong would make the case for the taliban at least bringing a degree of security and relative calm and peace to some parts of afghanistan okay obviously at a terrible price paid by women and girls yes yeah so it's not great as far as i'm concerned but equally if you're trying to do something about the heroin supply then it might be 
Right, we should investigate that further because that does sound intriguing. Anyway, Daisy, uh, thank you. Yes, can I just read out a little bit more of uh, Daisy's email at the bottom because it just taps into something. I'd had a sudden thought about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she says, I originally started listening to the other podcast in season one on the recommendation of a university friend and subsequently got all my mum friends here in Exeter listening, including my pal Rosie, who once wrote to you about the oddity of being Chris Martin's sister. I should tell you that round this way we consider having had a shout out on the podcast uh, much more significant than a claim to fame uh, which is just ridiculous actually and I'll tell you what I was thinking about Chris Martin's sister because uh, I went to see Coldplay the other weekend oh, yeah. and uh, even if you're not a Coldplay fan you should go and see the Coldplay show because it's really really magnificent and just uplifting and joyful and I really hate people who hate Coldplay so if oh, you hate Chris- Coldplay don't bother me with that I don't uh, hate them no, I think it's just a wonderful show, but it did remind me because I'd forgotten that Chris Martin's sister had sent us, do you remember she sent us a fantastic postcard uh, which detailed the fact that uh, their mum had taken up the oboe and that we'd said something about uh, a previous sister-in-law and just the fact we hadn't bought into some of the stuff going down on the website. And we enjoyed hearing from you very much and I just have always slightly wondered uh, whether you were okay with us reading out that postcard. Because actually, it was just quite. Uh, <laughs> it was just. It was fantastically. Uh, what's the right word? Um, <laughs> revealing. Revealing. I think that is. It the was right lovely word. to hear from you. So, uh, so I hope you're okay, Rosie. And obviously, I'm slightly in love with your brother, but that won't come as a great shock to you. Well, you don't want to mention his upper arms. I don't suppose any. No woman thinks of her brother in that light with great upper arms. Anyway, does she? So she's not going to offend, be offended by that. No, nobody no. would think that about Chris. Dear, dear Chris. No, dear, dear. Uh, But if you're really irritated by a sibling who's gone on to tremendous success, you know what you can do. Email Jane and Fee at times.radio. Not if you're related to either of us. Make that very clear. Actually, my sister doesn't listen, so that's fine. Neither does mine. Great. Oh, I played my mum the film of us uh, promoting our book club that we put on Instagram. Jane and Fee, by the way, if you'd like a follow. And all she said was... Are you both standing up? <laughs> I said yes. That's it. But how could she tell that we were a bit short against the background of the whole of the City of London? That's literally all she said. She had to measure us by comparison to how big we look against St Paul's Cathedral Dome. I don't know what Does she anybody meant. else look bigger? Mo? Hey? Hey? Indeed. She's not that big herself. She remains slightly taller than me, which is incredibly irritating. Um, Have you read Kate's email about Japan? Because we were talking on the programme today about uh, Japan's demographic problem. It just has too many old people and not enough young people. 28% of the Japanese population is over 65, which is a lot. Um, But this is an email from Kate actually referring to, I think it was a comment I made uh, about Japan and its lack of immigration. It's probably fair to say, says Kate, that immigration is low in Japan compared to the wider population. But actually, Japan has got many immigrants living there, one of whom is my sister. She moved there for work and then got married. The channel NHK World is the international arm of the Japanese broadcaster and has the most lovely show called Where We Call Home. It's all about people who've moved to Japan from other countries and the lives they have built for themselves. Well worth a watch. I also had to laugh at the lady who'd come back from Japan saying how quiet it was. The cities are really loud, just like ours. Traffic noise, loads of people. And every station on the Tokyo Metro, I love this, has its own jingle. Now, we need to do that on the London Underground. I suppose that's a way... Would that be a way for people to identify where they were if they didn't have time to read or yes. couldn't, couldn't read Japanese script? That is so fabulous, isn't yeah. it? Because also you might be, uh, you know, deep into a book or a paper or whatever. Mm. And and I've missed the, my station several times, especially on the Jubilee line. Oh. It doesn't seem to go at the same speed. It's very quick. It's some, it's, well, sometimes it's super quick. It's like the 21st century. Yeah, there? and I'm at Stratford before I know it. So I don't Lord. want to be at Stratford. So if you had a jingle, that would be great. Yeah. What would the jingle for the elephant and castle be? <laughs> and then the sound of a castle. <laughs> Can't do a castle. It's a bit difficult, isn't it, you see? You're not as clever as you think you are. Well, I didn't say I was clever, but you asked me to come up with a jingle, presumably, because you couldn't get one yourself. Oh, my word. But I see, would you you sing the name? 
I think you just have. Well, I don't know. Could somebody, if yeah, you're someone, listening let's in hear Japan, more about that. If you are in Japan, could I you record know. a jingle and send it to us? Yeah, because we can't imagine. That would be the best thing. Mm. Could you explain? I'll go to the foot of the stairs. Uh, Sandra has sent this in. Uh, she says thanks from a very sticky guerre in the south of France. Uh, she says she's from Cheshire, but she's never heard that expression before. And you used it in the conversation that we had with Satnam Sangera, who was in to talk about his fantastic book, Stolen History. Um, well, I'll go to the foot of our stairs is just an exclamation of uh, astonishment. Well, I'm just amazed. I'll go to the foot of our stairs. Well, what does it actually mean? What's it referencing? I, I don't. I think perhaps I don't. It might be because perhaps stairs are a relatively new invention. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know, actually, really. Good. But it's definitely, maybe it's like a northwestern expression. Um, Meaning, mean, yes, meaning astonishment and surprise. I, I'll be, I'd be amazed if. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'll go to the foot of our stairs. So is it the equivalent of in Hampshire would say, I'll start the Gymkhana? Something like Very that. Very much so. Does anybody say that? No, I just made that. Oh, okay, right. To play into the stereotype that you like to have of everybody from Himsha. Uh, this one comes uh, in about Erling Haaland's pants. It's from E, uh, who says... We all know what No, image. No, I've done it again. It's from O, who needs to be anonymous, please, as my job is a bit serious. Here we go. 64 minutes into the Man City versus Into Something match. No goals so far. Very hot, and my mind has started to wander. Naturally, it meandered back to an off-air episode which involved mention of an astronomical rise in the sale of Y-fronts due to the Erling Haaland Noel Gallagher photo. I admit I'd found the item shocking as I'd always associated such nether garments with my dad in the 1970s. Anyway, while my husband and child remained glued to the screen, I thought I'd take a moment to have a little look at the picture. <laughs> of course you did. Oh, serious job. Uh, for reasons that I won't go into, I then found it necessary to zoom in on certain parts of the image. I repeat the earlier phrase. I can now report that he's not wearing Y fronts. Well, it's astonished me, I have to tell you. I thought I'd studied the image closely enough. <laughs> okay. These are normal clingy boxes, but somehow the little leg bits have just got a bit rolled up. How long did you spend on this, oh? I can't tell you how relieved I was, and I thought I'd share in the hope of bringing similar comfort to others. Yours, slightly ashamed that this is the only contribution I'm ever likely to make to anything. Uh, no, we're grateful for that because it'll give other people the opportunity to go back to that picture. I found that picture a bit disturbing, actually. Because I think it's because Erland is, is, I say that as if I know him, uh, the young man is is near naked and being photographed with these other completely and utterly dressed guys around him. Well, it's Noel Gallagher yeah. and some other fella, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I just, yeah. I didn't like it. It gave me the giggles. Mm, I kind of know where you are, yeah. but like I say, I, I can't pretend I haven't seen it. Um, we'll keep this one anonymous. Um, hi, I've got two, two children. Uh, we were talking last week about um, the Conservatives... Miriam Cates, was it? Who it was, was basically yeah. calling for, a bit like our item about Japan today, calling on British women to come to the wicket and produce more citizens. I have two children, says our correspondent. After my first child, the enormity of the responsibility overwhelmed me. I knew instantly that this was a lifelong commitment. This beautiful little human had me as his guardian, protector and provider. I did have a deep maternal attachment. I made the decision to have only one child. However, my family and husband took a different view and after much persuasion, I had an amazing daughter. I've got no regrets. Both are great people who contribute to society by making the world a better place. My daughter, though, has said she doesn't want children. She says that she isn't prepared to put her body through being pregnant, giving birth and everything that comes post-birth physically. I respect and admire that decision. She does say if she feels she wants a child, then she'll look at adoption, as there are thousands of children all over the world who need a mother figure and safe homes and a nurturing environment, and I truly admire her. Uh, she says, P.S., both my offspring are in the higher tax bracket, which is very much the ambition we have for all our children. It really is. And uh, this one, I'm always quite glad to hear that. No, Nobody really... That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? Because if you just ended with a P.S. saying, both my kids are stonkingly rich, it just wouldn't have quite the same ring about it. No, it would. Uh, this one comes in from uh, Jackie, who says, I'm a long-time listener. My brothers and I used to play Cindy and Action Man weddings when we were young. The most popular bridegroom was the action figure Tom Stone 
who, apart from being very handsome, had moulded blue underpants. I don't remember Tom Stone at all. I'd like to have met Tom, but it was never my good fortune to do so, no. Uh, Yours and sisterhood, says Jackie, who then adds, I wear aprons and I went reluctantly to my school reunion and enjoyed it. My pretentious moment was reading a copy of The Stage on a train. (laughs) journey to London when I was 15 I'm 54 and yet to launch a career in showbiz still time I love that love that love that that. I'll just pick up a copy of the stage (laughs) I get it every time I go on the train Um, and let's get to this one from Julie in York this is something that you should play not play necessarily but just mention to any friend of yours who's wrestling with the demands of breastfeeding Uh, that was something else that was in the news last week Um, Julie says I enjoy three painful weeks of breastfeeding my son both emotionally and physically and then I just packed it in. The guilt was enormous and I distinctly remember saying that when he failed all his GCSEs it would be all my fault. Get this. He came home last week for the summer clutching his book that had kept him entertained on the flight. It was a Ken Follett. See? He is studying for a PhD at Harvard. Brilliant. Julie wins. Well done, Julie. And those three weeks, by the way, they'll be the three weeks that tipped him over the intellectual edge and sent him stratospherically straight to Harvard. I'm sure they would be. I'm so sorry, Jane. I've been temporarily distracted. What have I done there? I put a, a clean dress on. You've got a huge stain. And I've just rubbed against something very white that won't come off. We've got new desks in the office, and I wonder whether there was a little bit of painting over the weekend. And they haven't put up a don't sit down, there's wet paint here sign. Looks a little bit like white powder now. What on earth could that be? <laughs> well, we're, we're adjacent to showbiz. We're not right in showbiz anymore, darling. No, no, we're so not. I think it's more likely to be, I don't know what it is, paint or chalk? That's very annoying. Uh, right, uh, let's talk about our guest today. It was really lovely to meet her. One of the most dignified and thoughtful women that we have had on the programme so far. And you'll understand why uh, when you listen to the whole of the interview. Uh, it's Dr Olivia Chapel, and her son Horatio died when he was just 17 years old. He had gone on a camp with the British Exploring Society to the remote Svabald Islands and that camp was attacked by a polar bear and Horatio was killed. But just the year before, when he was only 16, he had gone to do some work experience at a spinal injury clinic in Salisbury, where he lived, and he had been very interested in becoming a doctor. And whilst he was there, he hit on the idea of creating a garden for the spinal injury patients. Obviously, lots of them are confined to bed or they're in wheelchairs. And as Olivia explains, he very much felt that only being able to look out of a window or go and sit in a car park really wasn't aiding their recovery. So he was a very compassionate and obviously very ambitious teenager. And he wanted to really devote some part of his teenage and young adult years uh, to doing something about what he saw as this problem. After his death, his parents also wanted to fulfil his wishes to build the gardens and his mother, Olivia, has devoted her life to that. Uh, She set up a charity and you can now find six gardens at centres across the country with plans for more. And do take a look at them. Uh, You can just search under Horatio's Gardens and they really are spaces of calm and beauty. So Olivia came into Times Radio early this morning to talk more about the project and I started by asking her if she could describe Horatio so that we could hold a picture of the young man in our heads whilst we talked about what then happened to him. Oh, that's a lovely question. So he's a a tall, loving boy who gives a good hug but also loves a bit of banter and teasing and thinks quite deeply about things understands nature and the outside and has an absolutely strong conviction that he wants to become a doctor. So let's hold that in our minds as we talk about him and what happened. Uh, He was very young when he went to do basically a bit of work experience, a bit of charity work at a spinal injury unit. What was that part of? So Horatio knew that he wanted to become a doctor and as part of that it's really good to get to all sorts of different experiences which might be relevant. And he'd done several different things, but then decided he'd like to do some volunteering and the Spinal Injury Centre was the place he chose. Um, My husband is a spinal surgeon in 
um, Salisbury in the same hospital. But this actually was completely, he didn't want it to be anything to do with David. So he applied himself, he went on the bus. Uh, it was a totally his, his world and the thing he wanted to do. And what did he notice whilst he was there? So he had lots of his his main role was you know sixteen year old boy. So people taught him to to make tea, the patients mainly, I think, um, and he did a lot of chatting. And the thing that he really noticed was that everybody was stuck inside. Uh, there was only a car park to go outside to, um, and people were completely sort of dislocated from you know things that he found helpful in his life. So you know trees and the outside and the sounds of nature. So what did he do uh, with all of that knowledge? Because it is quite remarkable that a 16-year-old boy on work experience comes back and goes, do you know what, I'm just going to change that thing. And I suppose to some people you might think, oh, that's a little bit cocky. But actually it just came from a really beautiful place in his heart, didn't it? It did. And I think, um, to start with, David and I were a bit... um, cynical and dismissive probably um you know having had careers in the nhs you know that these things are not straightforward and only you know, that building anything in the nhs is difficult let alone a garden so did you basically do the yes well that's that's marvelous darling you have great and absolutely then, you've got no idea Rachel, yeah. you know, it's far more difficult <laughs> than you think um so then he decided and we also said you know you you can't just have a whim on something like this you you've got to um back it up with some evidence so he said right i'm going to do a questionnaire which he duly did and he asked patients and staff um, and then came back saying yes people do want something that's not only a beautiful garden but somewhere that is subtly accessible so it doesn't remind them of their disability and then we started to sort of um, listen and prick up ears Um, and he'd also sort of um, chewed the ear of the the chairman of the trust who happened to come onto the spinal injury centre and you know explained to him that he thought this was a a good idea and from there things started to progress and they came on board and agreed that the land that had been identified would be fantastic to turn into a garden. So how far down the line were all of those plans when Horatio went off on the expedition? Yeah, so we had the land secured and we were doing a little bit of fundraising. So we had a small amount of money and we had a sort of modest garden plan which had been done by one of the members of staff who was interested in gardens. So it was it was very much back of an envelope um, staff. But um, we, Horatio had all sorts of plans of doing different sponsored this and that and ways to raise money. So it had been something which we were talking about at home a a lot and within um, the Spinal Centre too. Hmm. Uh, Tell us a bit more about what happened on the expedition. I mean, it is every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? It absolutely is. I mean, we all want to support our children and particularly in that terribly difficult time when you've got to let them start to become really independent and do the things that they want to do. And he really, really wanted to do this. And um, he went on a um, an expedition with a group um, from British Exploring, and it was a group of young people. And the idea was a science exhibition uh, um, expedition, and they were going to be, because of, you know, in long summers, they were looking at a dialnet variation and the effect of, of daylight on things. Um, but... Um, at that time, there was unfortunately um, a lot more sea ice than than um, there would be normally, and there were more more polar bears around than they had expected. Um, and because of a number of things which went wrong, um, a, a polar bear did get into their camp, um, and Horatio was attacked. And in that time that he was attacked, he put up a huge sort of defence, and I think he he. He bided time for his friends to escape, but he lost his life. How many uh, friends were with him and how many people in charge were there? So it was a small group. They had um, 10 young people in the group and two um, sort of leaders who were, you know, young people themselves really in their early 20s, but they were trained um, leaders for the group. And, had and it anyth- was a wider group of about 100 of them, I think. Right. Had anything like that happened before? No, not not um, to this uh, group or this organisation. So it wasn't a known danger that you had, in any sense, as parents had to assess before he embarked on the trip? 
Oh, no, we absolutely... It was a known danger. Um, and But we thought it was a mitigated risk. And as much as any risk can be mitigated. Mm. And we had discussed it extensively at home and were aware of all the things that had been put in place to make it you know, safe um, or safer. Um, and we thought that those were going to work, but they didn't. Mm. Um, I'm so, so sorry, obviously, that this happened to you and to Horatio and to your family. But, you know, one thing that struck me when I was reading your story is just the absolute horror of this happening to a child who's abroad because that feeling of distance from them must be so hard when you're travelling, when you're going out to see what actually happened. How did you cope with that? Yeah, that was probably one of... You're absolutely right. It was incredibly hard because I think through all your child's life, you're there in all their difficult times, you know, when they're, when they're born, when they're ill, all of those key moments. And then to be not there when they die is, is terribly difficult. Um, as you know, most um, anybody who's, who's lost a child in a traumatic way you know, would know. And I think, you know, our immediate urge was we just wanted to be there. Mm. I know that the inquest revealed quite a lot of incredibly difficult things. Uh, I don't know whether you want to talk too much about those now. Um, no, I mean, I think I think everything has been kind of said about that and um, I, I'm not sure that there's a much more than I can add other than what I've said already yeah and that the, you know there were failings and um things shouldn't have gone wrong in the way that they did but how does a family process that does it help at all or really really not help i think um i felt very much that um there was no point in having anger because anger is such a destructive emotion and i needed to have something that was positive and that celebrated Horatio because I couldn't change what had happened and no amount of, of feeling like that was going to change anything. And so for me, the most important thing to be able to sort of navigate this in order to sort of stay intact for the rest of the family was to find something that brought some purpose and some control and some celebration of, of Horatio's life. And so the gardens continued. Yes. How... Difficult are some days, though, when you find yourself talking about gardens, talking about bringing peace and comfort and help to other people, knowing all the time that it comes really from a place of immense sadness and loss to you and your family as well. Yeah, of course, there are always um, difficult times. But, you know, anybody who's um, experienced a spinal cord injury... Um, is facing something very, very akin to bereavement because it's um, loss of all of their hopes and hopes and dreams, um, their future plans, and uh, there's, there's such an impact on their family, their friends, their community, and they're going through you know, a huge process of adjustment to find something that gives them purpose, something that gives them a sort of little bit of control in their lives so that they can start to find find a future way of, of being and so sharing you know that that sort of emotion of loss that that as so many people tragically have to go through is is um very kind of nourishing and nurturing really um i suppose in in um if you look at it uh, from a selfish point of view um but it's it's doing something with Horatio's ideas and that has now this huge momentum to it because it makes such a massive difference. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our guest today is Olivia Chapel. She set up the charity Horatio's Gardens in her son's memory. I asked her to tell us all a little bit more about what the gardens actually look like. So the first one was in Salisbury, where Horatio was a volunteer, and that's um, the Regional Spinal Injury Centre for the whole of the southwest. And throughout the UK, there's 11 of these big spinal injury centres, fantastic centres of excellence where people go for rehabilitation when they've had a you know, traumatic event that's meant that they've been, become paralysed. And so our, now as a charity, Horatia's Garden, we are endeavouring to bring gardens to all those spinal injury centres and then we run them as really thriving, vibrant spaces to hopefully support patients to find that purpose, find the future to adjust with their families because you know as humans we're all biophilic beings we need nature around us well, you've used a word i don't understand there Olivia. Bio, biophilic <laughs> biophilic so we're hardwired really to be comforted by nature whether that's trees whether it's being under the sky whether it's um feeling sunlight on our faces um all of these things have a huge physiological effect on us and in our society now, at times the people are most stressed. So whether they're severely ill, perhaps um, they're in an elderly care home, in prison, we're removing people from all of that that naturally comforts us. And as a result, what happens is your cortisol levels go up, your blood pressure goes up, um, you're generally feeling much more stress, your sleep patterns are, are all over the place. Um, and none of these things help people who need to recover so it's about trying to get this to be seen in the evidence is there, you know, without a doubt. The science is there to back up that we shouldn't be removing people who are in chronic ill health or facing acutely unwell situations from nature. And it would be fair to say, wouldn't it, that there isn't enough room really in the NHS at the moment in terms of budget or, you know, possibly... Uh, energy i'm sure there is goodwill for it but to be able to do this kind of thing within a normal hospital budget and setting yeah i mean the, those are challenges um particularly when your you know hospitals are often uh built piecemeal and so we've been fortunate in that all the spinal injury centers um in the uk have some space that so it's adjacent to the garden but, uh, to the spinal center which is absolutely crucial obviously but the, you're right that the, even if the garden was put in, um, it tends to be put in as a low-maintenance garden, um, and maintenance is often the big issue. And so for us, these gardens are high-maintenance on purpose, so we sort of flip the whole thing on its head because then we know that um, a high-maintenance garden means there's all-year-round seasonality and interest. So whatever time of year you come in there, even if it's on a grim old November day, you're going to find something that's growing. Something that's a that's very good point, yeah, because you don't you wouldn't really want to look at just 
spindly tree branches in that kind of harshness of a wintry setting, which you... And they also need to be maintained, you know, and so you need people in them. And then that becomes the social part of the project, which having people around you when you're going through a trauma is absolutely crucial. And whether those are your relatives and friends who can then come be in the garden with you and alongside you, or whether it's, you know, our volunteer gardeners chat Mm -hmm. about anything other than what's going on in your medical situation. It all helps. You mentioned uh, relatives and friends Mm. there. Uh, I did listen, and everybody can do this too, to some of the tributes that were paid to Horatio at a service in Salisbury Cathedral by some of his friends. Excuse me, I'm tearing up just thinking about it because the young people just spoke so amazingly about losing this friend. Do you keep in touch with them? Do they keep in touch with you absolutely and oh they've been such um a joy such a support um they i think you know particularly for his his friends who he was at school with you know they were very very close they they'd been together for four years and they were 17 year old boys too who don't on the whole have a language for bereavement and um and a, um, they needed to find a way to be able to sort of express it. Yeah, but, I mean, they did it beautifully. They said such moving things. Yeah. I and think it must be so hard as a parent, though, Olivia, to watch the contemporaries of your child go on to do all of the things that your child can't. But does it also bring some kind of comfort to you as well? Well, it does. I mean, to start with, it was... It was really hard um but we knew that um they were all grieving so much as well we needed to do it all together and they've been such wonderful friends to Horatio to Horatio's brothers and to us and you know they're now two or one involved with the charity um the sort of succession of the charity um, and the vibrancy and energy that comes from them and then the many other young people who've sort of joined them because they've been touched by perhaps friends who've had spinal cord injuries or, or the charity in some other way. So there is a big cohort of, I call them young people, but they're, you know, they're now getting on, they're in their, their late 20s now, um, but and a growing cohort of, of those people who want this, they understand that you know, nobody should have to be in the situation of having a devastating, life-changing injury without having somewhere that's not for mica yep. to recover in. I did love some of the little details as well that were mentioned. Were you aware that uh, his early teenage parties were based around his desire to have a lot of low-alcohol beer and pavlova? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I just love the addition of low alcohol. So I can imagine someone writing that thinking, yep, his parents will be there. So we'll say it was low alcohol. Probably wasn't. Uh, you're obviously incredibly proud of Horatio and what he achieved in his life and the impetus that he has given to something that lives long after him. Do you ever stop to think that actually he's probably immensely proud of you? I hope so. I really, I really do. I think he'd be amazed. I think he'd be absolutely kind of thrilled and proud that that there is change and that, you know, it's not only changed within our charity work and what we're doing, but, you know, over the 10 years we've been doing it, the importance of gardens and health is has been more recognised. And so if we can be starting that bigger dialogue and that there's going to be many more people who are impacted for the for the better by this... Um, then I think he'd think, yeah, this is, you know, he'd be pleased it's based on science, he'd be pleased it's based on evidence, and he'd be really happy that that change is afoot. That was Olivia Chapel, and you can find out more about the gardens at horatiosgarden.org.uk. And maybe, you know, you'll think, oh, I'll do that later, and I'll put it on a list or whatever. But do take the time to have a look at them, because it's such a sensible and beautiful thing to have done. And, I mean, nobody expects to have a spinal injury. You're not thinking, oh, that won't affect me. Uh, You can't guarantee that at all. And, you know, maybe tomorrow it will, maybe next week it'll affect someone you love, uh, maybe, you know, a couple of years down the line. So it's a really great thing she's done. And, uh, I mean, I know that you feel the same way. 
and so many parents do. It's mind-boggling to imagine how you can even stand up after losing a child. So all hail to Olivia for doing so much more than that. Much, much more than that. And to talk in such an articulate way, not just about her son, but about the importance of that garden and just the hard work and the thought that's gone into that as a really fitting tribute to a young man who was clearly very special. And I thought it was really lovely. So... um, it was great to to meet uh, Olivia, and I just hope that I hope that talking. I don't know how you'd. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? How would she feel, sort of, on the way back? Do you know what I mean? Having had another conversation about her son and been so public about him and about what he was going to be, and then you sort of, I don't know. It must be an incredible. A really tough mental exercise to keep talking, yeah. although a good thing. A good yeah, thing to be no, able to I, do. I agree, and I think it must. Um, it breaks the meniscus, really, doesn't it? Because, you know, when our children are alive, we choose when we talk about them. If we say something wrong about them, you know, there's another day to correct that. Uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very, very different thing. So I agree. I'm sure it's mentally quite a tough ask. Uh, so uh, any thoughts on that? Do email us here, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Uh, other guests this week will include Whispering Bob, as yes. we've already mentioned. He's on the programme tomorrow. When do you think he was given the adjective whispering? Do you think he was ever shouty Bob? Uh, well, do you know what? I have made a short list of questions and that was there. <laughs> was it? Yes. Okay. It's, it's on the list. <laughs> so well, I might start with it. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> but don't you think it was your idea? Because I've already had it. Oh, gosh, Eve. She's been being a bit difficult today. I'm rather tiring. Right. Uh, uh, and we've also got the winner of the Women's Prize for Fiction. Now, Jane and I don't know. We're not privy to this. Uh, so that'll be announced at the sparkling ceremony. Uh, we will talk to whoever it is who's won. It's included in her prize. And how thrilled she must be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener? I'm sorry. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.